The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Hello, hello, I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his barista, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 104 of The Big Picture for the week beginning April 24. And a very special welcome to our new Brisbane listeners on 965. That's right. Coming up today is our first big national big picture show. Ben? The Guardians of the Galaxy are back with more interstellar hijinks. We're going to review them. Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine and Alan Arkin demonstrate the criminal side of retirement in Going in Style. And there's a surprise World War II drama that's stunning critics their finest. We're going to get to those on the show later. But first, let's also introduce Sam Robinson. Sam, how are you doing? Good. Going well. You are? And hello, Brisbane. I'll say. (laughs) I feel sunnier already. Great to be with Brisbane. Now, I should say, you guys, Mark and Ben, you guys, the show's about you. Why don't you introduce (laughs) yourself? Oh, very quickly to, to establish who you are and what the heck we're doing here. Yeah, sure. What the sure. heck do you do? What the heck do I do? What have I been doing for about the past decade and a half is reviewing movies, gentlemen. I'm in cinemas a lot. I used to work for a newspaper in Adelaide. Then I moved to Sydney and worked for Empire Magazine for about five years as an editor, also writing a lot about movies in that time. Now I work for a variety of Christian um, outlets like Eternity Newspaper and Insights Magazine, magazine, still reviewing, but also doing other bits and bobs as well. Mm. And I make the coffee. Well, <laughs> you make, so Mark Hadley, you, you who, are you? Good who, who are you really? I'm a scriptwriter, so basically I spend my time making documentaries overseas uh, and around Australia. I also write television and all sorts of things like that. I've been doing that for about 30 years now. Uh, yes, I can actually make watching television part of my tax-deductible income. That's lovely. And yeah, my, it's an awesome life. And my job here is to press the buttons and to wrangle you guys, basically. Mm. <laughs> my goodness, you do a good job, Sam. Well, let's Thank wrangle you along. All right, let's get into what's in cinemas this week, Ben. Gentlemen, uh, something that opened last Thursday, Day is Berlin Syndrome, which is from Australian director Kate Shortland, who made a famous film called Somersault a number of years ago. Berlin Syndrome stars South Australian actress Teresa Palmer. She's a backpacker in the city of Berlin who has a one-night stand and ends up being locked inside a guy's apartment. Yikes. That is Berlin Syndrome at cinemas now. Won't do as won't get as much attention, I don't think, as a film that's coming out this Thursday called Rules Don't Apply, which was written, directed, and stars Warren Beatty, who I think is now best known as the guy that read out La La Land as best picture this year when he should have read Moonlight. But he's actually a really famous uh, director and actor uh, who's been around for a long time. It's a romantic comedy drama set in the 950s in Hollywood, stars a whole bunch of people, but it did no business whatsoever in the U.S., so I don't really know how it's going to go Maybe on these like shores a, either. Yeah, decided to just ignore him because of what he did at the Academy Awards. Mark Hadley, what's on TV? Well, on, small, on the small screen this week, if you actually uh, tune into the ABC, you'll be able to see You Can't Ask That. It's the second series. Uh, you Can't Ask That's an ABC original series, first released last year. Each episode kind of asks controversial questions from the public about minority groups. Okay, so Australian population, people including like people who are short or Muslims or refugees, or drug users. You know the sort of questions you might want to ask, but you're not really sure, can you ask that? Because they seem groups? really insensitive. So they ask them on TV? Yeah! <laughs> There's no right. trouble with that. Okay, also Small Crimes is releasing on Netflix. Now, this is a black comedy uh, directed by Evan Katz. It stars uh, Nikolai Costa-Walder as Joe Denton, a former cop recently released from prison for attempted murder. Starting to sound formulaic already, isn't it? And the film also stars Jackie Weaver. Australia's though. own Jackie yeah, Weaver. she's in there. Robert Foster, Gary Cole. Basically, does anyone think that Jackie Weaver is being typecast as the mother of criminals? Yes. Happens a fair bit. It she was in Animal Kingdom That's as right. the mother of criminals? Yeah. Typecast. And, there you go. We've got two. 
<laughs> Established. All right. Now, each and every week on The Big Picture, we do a true or false question to get our brains thinking. What have we got this week? Okay. Well, we all know that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 have been... The, well, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 has been a great success. 2 is coming out this week. Uh, and they have Chris Pratt in common, right? He's the great star. Jurassic World, you might know him from. Or the very funny Parks and Recreation. Well, here's a true or false test for you and us about Chris Pratt. Pratt was raised... True or false, Pratt was raised a Hasidic Jew, but later worked for Jews for Jesus. Is this true or false? What? So Pratt <laughs> was he raised a Hasidic Jew? Right, and he later and did he later and work later for Jews for, for Jesus? Jesus? Is that true or false? I have uh, no idea. Well, tune in later and you'll find out. We'll find out really soon. All right. Okay. Well, this week Marvel will release the sequel to one of its most unexpected successes in its superhero universe, Guardians of the Galaxy. Volume 2. Now, the first Guardians of the Galaxy film back in 2014 did big things, with pre-release material hinting that its comic book creators were finally going to take a look at the funnier side of being a superhero. Guardians was a massive success, grossing $1 billion Aussie dollars worldwide, that is huge, and becoming the highest grossing superhero film of 2014. Well, now Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is about to hit your local cinema and Mark says families will be lining up around the block for another trip with Groot, Rocky, Drax the Destroyer and, of course, Star-Lord. Does anybody have any tape out there? I want to put some tape over the death button. Nobody has any tape. Not a single person has tape. You have an atomic bomb in your bag. If anybody's going to have tape, it's you. I have to do everything. You are wasting a lot of time. That's a really bad sign. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy are back, and basically they're getting jobs now on what they did in the first film, which is Save the Galaxy. So it's like, you know, what can you do well? Oh, we saved the galaxy. Okay, cool. Well, why don't you help us out with We've this? We've all got that in our resume. Yeah. So while, now, while they're doing a bad job rescuing a superior race, and you know they're a superior race because they're gold in colour, uh, Peter Quinn, a.k.a. Star-Lord, a.k.a. Chris Pratt, is contacted by his long-lost father, Ego. Ego? Play- Ego. <laughs> played by none other than Kurt Russell. Oh. Is there- is there a Freudian slip there? I don't know. But anyway, Ego's keen to make up for lost time. Turns out he's a celestial, which means he gets to make planets and his own little mini universes cool. and stuff like that. This is what you do if you're godlike. Uh, he's loaded. The whole film is uh, a sort of a reunion piece, but is it for good or for bad? Uh, it's loaded with star power. Returning cast plus Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Uh, Karen Gillan from Doctor Who. Up and coming uh, Australian actress Elizabeth Debicki. Nathan Fillion from Serenity fans, sci-fi fans. Um, Glenn Close is in it. You know, there you go. I don't see any reason why it won't blitz the cinemas these school holidays. Now, Mark, not to throw a damp towel or something on this. Not <laughs> Something throw, damp. Nothing damp on this. But <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of the first one, which isn't to say I didn't like the first one. I just thought it was a bit overrated. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But a lot of people disagree with me and they love Guardians of the Galaxy. Is the sequel as good as those people are suggesting? <laughs> that was really, really good. And th- there's a pick up where it, just where it finished off, the last one. Ben, the good news is that everybody's allowed to be wrong at least once in their life. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is pretty much the same film. Okay, so in one respect, that's great. If you really enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy 1, you're going to go in, same sort of comedy, same sort of uh, hijinks, same sort of uh, fun sort of inter- Basically interplay. Basically the same movie, as you but, said. Yeah, Kind yep. of, there's a few plot differences, but um, I don't want to give too much away by saying that the galaxy gets saved again. <laughs> so, <laughs> Way to ruin it. I know. There you go. Look, the film is very aware, though, that once you've saved the galaxy, actually, it's very hard to know where to go next. 
Okay, so they actually turn it in, which is a very sort of standard script trope, and now they're saving themselves. Ah. Mm. So, yeah, Sam mentioned in the intro that um, you you reckon that families are going to be lining up around the block for this one. Families. You think this is a family superhero movie? Well, the only families will be lining up around the block, I should add, will be those who don't know how to buy a ticket online now. So, please, <laughs> honestly, you should check that one out. It saves a lot of time. But the key story is actually a big mosaic of family issues. Okay, so uh, Drax... Uh, the Destroyer is remembering his deceased family, finding a new family with this character called uh, Mantis. Gamora is attempting to reconcile with her psychotic sister Nebula. You know, I, I mean, this, normal family issues. No, yeah, normal, normal family, family issues for and, Guardians of the Galaxy. And right at the heart of it, of course, Quinn is trying to define a new future with his godlike father, Ego. Um, and I guess the lesson that emerges uh, is that blood or no blood, family is what you make it. And I think that's a pretty affirming message that you can't just presume on the fact that just because we're related, somehow we're all going to get on. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you can actually include in your family people who have been made part of your family. So, for example, this is a very affirming message for adopted parents. You know, And I feel like uh, if you're going as a blended family and many blended families in Australia today, you're actually going to come out thinking, hey, they affirmed my style of family uh, in this film, and that's not a bad thing. I know Sam's got a question for you, but I just want to dive in and say, but the film's rated M, right? So what kind of what family members are you suggesting will be going along to Guardians of the Galaxy? So I'm thinking that you're going to be taking kids who are probably mid to late primary and up. It's safe mm-hmm. for that. But, but the, here's the warning. Um, look, there's a, a, a few language moments not the f-bomb or anything like that but just there's a few language moments where you go now if you're if you're watching that as a family okay that might be something to wait until it comes out on blu-ray or something like that and then you'll be able to skip bits all right. Is there anything in this film from outer space that you're not so keen on? Because yeah. you said said things. Yeah, you really sound really like, like you're not film. me. About yeah, the film. yeah, yeah. Definitely not in my camp. You're it, it's, you're it's down with film. this. It's a great film. I, I think. Look, I'll be taking the kids to see this one. You know, it's great. But that said, yes, um, God is not good in this film. Uh, basically, God's not good because yeah, God makes an appearance. Uh, the guardians, oh, he does. Yeah, great. The, the guardians <laughs> end up battling a figure who describes himself as God, a small G God, mind you, but God, who's clearly not the loving God that they would expect. Um, however, his character... So, you know, they're saying, oh, this is not how God should be. But at the same time, the characteristics they've attributed to God, um, I want to be in control of everything. I want everything to be in my image, which are really things we would associate with the Christian God, are all bad. You know, this idea that you might want to f- enforce conformity. Mm. So I mean, Quinn's conclusion, though, is that sometimes what you're looking for is right next to you all along. And I kind of want to feel that way as a Christian because this is not God anyway. It's a straw man. You know, the real God is actually serving for the sake of us, who's, you know, it's Jesus dying for the sake of us, not um, trying to make everybody conform. It's trying to bring us into the family. I think it's well done. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Dave Bautista, and frankly, too many other stars that we can name in this (laughs) review. It's rated M for science fiction, themes, and violence, and opens nationally on Anzac Day, April 25th. Mark, just before this review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which you really talked up, you mentioned a true or false fact that we do love to do here every week on Big Picture. And what we also like to do is find out the answer, because I'm still scratching my head about what this, whether this could possibly be true or false. Tell us. Was Chris Pratt raised as a Hasidic Jew and then became a member of Jews for Jesus? Mm. Anyone? I just want to say yes. You want yeah, to say- I'm, I reckon it's true. Yeah, it's it's 
close but no cigar. Okay, uh-huh. it's actually false, but not because because he wasn't raised as a Hasidic Jew, but actually he was raised as a Lutheran and did then go to work for Jews for Jesus and later on in life became a Christian. If people don't know, Chris Pratt's actually and his wife Anna Faris are actually quite prominent Christians. Uh, and Pratt stated at the birth of his preterm son Jack that it really defined his faith in God after he and his wife were praying a lot through that. I guess God took family uh, to make Star Lord, you know, come closer to Him. There you mm. go. All right, coming up on the big picture, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, and Alan Arkin <laughs> give it the banks a dose of their own medicine in going in style. Plus, our top five senior movie moments. Have you had one of them? Welcome back, and especially welcome back to Brisbane. It's joining us for our first national show. Now, we're up to the soundtrack part of the big picture. This is a segment where every week we let you enjoy the best sounds coming from the big pictures around the place. And by far and away, one of the best things to say about the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, especially for someone like me who wasn't really into that film, was its soundtrack. Let it go. It even became a feature of the plot. So we thought it'd be a good thing to feature this week something from Guardians of the Galaxy to feed your Guardians of the Galaxy fever. And here's a track taken from Volume 2.
gentlemen, that is of course Mr. Blue Sky by ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, that British rock electronica band that was big, what, in the 70s, 80s? Um, like the original film soundtrack, Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, uh, this one, Volume 2, also features a lot of uh, big hits from the 60s, 70s and 80s. And before Mark lets us know why he's chosen Mr. Blue Sky for this, uh, for this week, because he saw it up on the big screen when he saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the first film's soundtrack was the first soundtrack ever to hit number one in the US on the Billboard charts. A first soundtrack full of previously released material. Previously mm. re- released material. That's how big it was. Mark, why did you choose this one for, out of this out of the sequel? I think well, the one once people actually see the film and the opening scene, and this is you know um, the ELO songs right underneath the opening scene, um, they're really going to just redefine how they see that hear that song from now, and it'll always be associated with Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's kind of like what Guardians of the Galaxy did with the first film. So great choice of soundtrack, great fun to listen to. Hope you were enjoying bopping along with it. Now, lads, retirement may be still a long, long way off for you, but what are you planning to do? Not me. Uh, I've got a couple of ideas. Yeah, uh, that's uh, it. They're, they're obviously not very fully formed yet, but I've got, I've got a couple of ideas. I might, I might have a rest. I might stop coming into a radio station. <laughs> no, I Let, won't. We love oh, you, Brisbane. Guys. First episode. We're in for the long haul. Anyway, in new comedy going in style, three Oscar winners decide to start their retirement by robbing a bank. Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine and Alan Arkin play a trio of, of old-timers who choose an extreme option for getting what is theirs. Semtech Steel has frozen all pension payments. I'm thinking of robbing a bank. I'm thinking about buying a Ferrari. I just got drafted by the Knicks. Could we ferry about it, huh? Williamsburg Savings will manage the liquidation of the fund. These banks practically destroyed this country and nothing ever happened to them. I want to rob that bank. Let's go get our money back. Yeah. Fun fact. Did you know that Going in Style was a, a film in 1979 that starred George Burns? Oh, right. So, they, this, so this is a remake. Is a remake oh, which okay, I had no. no idea about. Never heard of that. Never heard of that movie. I don't think it went terribly well, or at least it's, you know, it hasn't really lingered on mm. in time. Maybe that's why Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, and Alan Arkin decided that they'd be involved in a remake of it. Michael Caine is Joe. Morgan Freeman is Willie. Alan Arkin is Albert. They're lifelong mates who've been working at like a steel plant or, or something, some big factory. It doesn't really matter because it's, it's only incidental in the plot. When the factory gets shut down and gets like you know, liquidated and all that kind of stuff, and their pension plans are about to be basically like taken away from them. Mm. These guys uh, decide to take some drastic action. It's a little bit like you know the Italian job. You know Michael Caine is in the Italian job. It's a little bit like that on a pension plan. That's kind of right. what you're getting, in, go- you're getting it going in style. It's, it's a heist just, movie. It's full a slightly of, uh, slower. Full of old timers. Yeah, there is, there is actually a, a chase sequence involving one of those um, old persons, like kind of buggies, car things. Like, true story. Okay, well, look, it's a great cast. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. They've taken the uh, the old man style film and the heist film and they've mashed them together. Is it any good? No, nah, it's not great, guys. It's I think it's a real waste of talent. Like, these blokes are, are excellent. Like, and you would have thought... Just getting them in a room together and not even give them a script, just let them like make it up as they go along would be worth watching. But I think it's a bit too, a bit too plain, a bit too by the numbers, a bit too just me describing what it's about. 
you probably know exactly what's going to happen, exactly the kind of jokes, exactly the kind of situations they're going to get into. It's not necessarily a terrible thing, but it doesn't m- make for a movie, I think, that makes you want to run out to the cinema to go see it. Even uh, the people that presume this movie is being pitched at, which is, uh, how do I put this delicately, more mature members of <laughs> society will probably be going along to this. But look, I'm a fan of all of these guys. So if you liked the exotic Marigold Hotel. That's right. But if, if you did, I think even that one had a bit more spark and a bit more life in it. This one just doesn't, like, it's got its moments every now and again, but they're very few and far between. Otherwise, I found it a really quite yawn-inspiring hour and a half. It's only an hour and a half, too, but it really feels a lot longer than well, that. Well, it's a long time there. if you're over 90. <laughs> Simply, I can't sit still that long. Listen, uh, I know you wouldn't be cheering on any kinds of illegal activity. No, Mark, uh, I don't stand for that. But it is basically a bank heist because the banks have been bad. Okay, yep. um, and, yep. and and I I reckon a lot of people in in Australia would probably feel like mm, banks, you know. Yeah. So it, did this tug at your heartstrings? Was it okay? Look, it tugged at my heartstrings a little bit, and then the movie definitely rams down your throat. Banks are bad. Like banks, <laughs> you know, they're they're the worst, and yeah. uh, and and big business and all that sort of thing. Like they're so, try- so there is a good reason for going. They're trying. They're, <laughs> they're trying to. Def- they're trying to crush the the little guy who's just been working his whole life. And and look, I'm not. I'm I'm not even. I shouldn't even try to have a tone about about that. Like that that message. At least it's like supporting the the little Aussie battler or in this case, the little English battler and the little like Morgan Freeman battler. Like l- like getting behind those kind of characters, I think, is a reasonable idea. But when you start pushing banks into being cartoonish villains, I think it starts going a bit too far. And also, I felt sympathy was like was sapping away from me when I was watching these old guys because when they're talking about robbing a bank, they're really justifying their behaviour. This is our pension money. We should be able to go and get this. I don't disagree with that. But when you start bending the rules to just fit your situation, that's when it starts yeah, like not sitting so well with me. And here at The Big Picture, we, we like to bring a Christian perspective to movies and TV shows that we're talking about. It's very easy and going in style to sit back and think, oh, wow, the moral compass up on screen here is way different to the one that God and, and Jesus like outline mm. for us in terms of it's not situational. You've, whether you like it or not, you've kind of got to go about things the right way in any situation you're in. And there's one point in this movie where a little girl, I think she's about six or seven, gets involved in something that I just found like morally deplorable. The, the, the way she's involved in this plot at a critical moment to help effectively these old-time bank robbers was just... Like mind blowing! I, 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 wow! I'm still shocked at how they use this girl. So morality's dropped out for the sake of comedy. Yes, sir. Mm. And not even that much comedy, wow. unfortunately. I wish it was funnier. Okay, I'm not getting a great picture of this film from you, Ben. Is there anything you're happy to take away from going in style? It was great to watch a bunch of lifelong mates up on screen again. I go back to these actors are good. They do the best with what they they can do. I think they're better than the material mm-hmm. they've got in this movie. It's it's. Worth going along just to see them together. This would have been a much different movie if they could have made a much different movie and better movie if they made it more of a drama. If they'd actually focused on these these guys who are lifelong chums, who you know really trying to help each other get through difficult times. That's a fantastic message that we could really get behind. But then they can go on to encourage each other to celebrate, to celebrate each other to be thieves. 
goes mm. a little bit downhill from there. Okay, well, if you want to go downhill, going in style stars Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman and Alan Arkin. It's now showing at cinemas all over the place, including Brisbane. Did we mention Brisbane? Hi, guys. And our new crowd at 965 will also have a chance to go see it. It's also rated M for coarse language, though, so be a little cautious there, okay? Now, the Big Picture program is supported by Insights Magazine and website, insights.uca.org.au. Speaking of brotherhood and loyalty and that kind of things and bonds and stealing stuff, you can check out my full review of Fate of the Furious over at insights.uca.org.au. They're getting a bit older. They are getting old in the tooth and stealing stuff and long and ridiculous stuff about family. But you can go and read more about that over at that website. All right, coming up on The Big Picture, the film that's surprising all the critics, their finest. And we talked to Lee Strobel, author of The Case for Christ and the key character in the film based on that celebrated book. Welcome back. Well, with 10 million copies in print, former journalist Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ is one of the best-known and well-regarded books in the contemporary Christian reading list. Featuring interviews Strobel did with scholars and historians when he was an atheist seeking evidence for Jesus' life, death and resurrection, The Case for Christ has now been turned into a movie that releases at cinemas on May 4. So for Press Record this week, Ben had the great privilege of speaking over the phone with Lee Strobel about his hopes for the new movie and how it might be a game-changer for Christian stuff up on screen. What is it like seeing yourself up in a movie? Did you ever think that was going to happen? No, I never I never thought I'd write a book about it, much less a movie. My wife was the one who suggested I write a book. We didn't initiate the movie. We got a phone call from uh, Pure Flix, the company that made the film, and uh, suggesting a movie. And, and uh, we said we'd do it as long as it was written by Brian Bird, who uh, is a friend of ours and a great screenwriter, and he agreed to write it because we knew he would treat our story with honesty and integrity. So it's, it's difficult to see it on our life on the screen because a lot of our life before we were Christians we're not particularly proud of. Our behavior was not um, something that uh, we're, we'd like the whole world to see, at least my behavior. And so uh, it's a little uncomfortable to have um, you know, our private arguments now on a big screen and um, uh, the way I lived and so forth and my drinking. Uh, portrayed um, in a motion picture, but we knew and we knew we had to be authentic in the film. We had to be honest because otherwise people would spot it and not respond to it. So um, we thought it was worth it, worth the embarrassment to uh, get out the message. Were you skeptical that the case for Christ could be turned into a movie? Yeah, you know, the book itself is an interview with 13 scholars uh, on various aspects of the evidence for Jesus. But the vision for this film was to tell a fuller story, to tell the personal story, to tell about the marriage, to tell a love story, to tell a detective story, to tell a father-son story, and a big city newspaper story, as well as a story of spiritual discovery. So I think by broadening it to tell the personal side, it, it made it a much more compelling film. Lee, do you reckon The Case for Christ the movie might cause something of a bit of a change in the approach to Christian movie making? The film itself isn't terribly smug, it's not condescending, it's not manipulative towards yeah. conversion, it doesn't have an altar call moment. I'm not trying to tar every Christian movie ever with the same brush, but a lot of movies can be like that that are made by Christians. Do you think the case for Christ might compel a different approach? I think so. I think we've set a 
a new high watermark for Christian film. The response we've been getting from critics uh, as well as everyday moviegoers is that so many Christian films tend to have a little moments of cheesiness, we call it, or, or a little bit that's uh, embarrassing or cringeworthy, but that this film uh, really doesn't have that. And we tried to treat people not as cardboard characters, but as multifaceted people. So we didn't paint all the atheists as being evil, awful people. We didn't paint all the Christians as being perfect. We tried to be balanced in the way we looked at things. Uh, I think the production quality of the film is high. The acting was was uh, very well done. The writing of the script was great. I can brag about it because I didn't write it. You know, I, I didn't <laughs> do it. So, you know, the most common response we've gotten, especially from Christian leaders, is that this is a film we can be proud of and that we can confidently invite our non-Christian friends to attend with us. That leads me on to my next question, Lee. Is the purpose of this film to reach people who don't believe in Jesus? Yes, for me, yes. I mean, I'm an evangelist at heart. God gave me that gift, that uh, passion to see people come to faith in Him. And so from my perspective, um, my goal, my hope is that people will begin their own spiritual journeys as a result of the film and come to faith in Christ. We've already seen that happening. We had four people, uh, young people, come to faith in a showing of the theater, of the movie in North Carolina just recently. That to me is, you know, that's what I want to be seeing. But I think it's also helpful to just encourage Christians, to help Christians understand why they believe what they believe. Lee, uh, the film is uh, heavily based in evidence for for Jesus and the, and the claims he made and the things to do with his life. But there's also a lot in this film about the experience of yourself and Leslie. So you get this interesting combination of evidence and experience. I'm interested in hearing from you about how you think those things go together, particularly when we live in a world that seems to be a collision between people claiming that they want evidence for things, but then also really, really, really valuing experience very highly, often more highly than evidence. How do you get all these things together and then help people to understand that Jesus is true and real and you can experience him. I think it's important that the film connect not just on an intellectual level, but also on an emotional and personal level. And that's why at the end, I think it's so important in the movie, once I, and this is actually what happened in real life, when I came to the realization that Christianity is true based on the evidence for the resurrection, that that wasn't the final step, just knowing intellectually that it was true. I had to have an experiential step. I had to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I had to receive this free gift of grace. And that's why John 1:12 and that verse we use in the film, that, that equation of believe plus receive equals become. To believe intellectually is good, but the Bible says even demons believe and they shudder. It's not enough just to have intellectual assent to Christian doctrine. You must experience Jesus. You must, you must receive this free gift of His grace in order to become a child of God. Uh, you've, you've been a Christian now for, for, what is it, 25 years, 30 years? Gosh, since uh, November the 8th of 81. 81. Yeah, well, like that's like 36 years. Can you describe for me how your faith has developed across that time? You know, in 25 words or less. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, if you ask me today, why do I believe? I don't sit here and give you all the evidence because that's not the basis really for my belief at this point. It's still valid. It got me to the place of putting my trust in Christ. It's still important. But if you ask me why I believe today, I believe today because I've met Jesus, because I've known him for these 35 years, and we have a relationship. Now, that doesn't negate the importance of the evidence in getting me to putting my trust in Christ, but ultimately, uh, Christianity is a relationship with God. 
Propaganda is one of those words that leaves a sour taste in anyone's mouth. There's mm. hardly a positive way of putting it into a sentence. Mm. It is very difficult to say propaganda <laughs> positively. That's yeah. right. But trust Hollywood to find a way to turn that touchy subject into a touching film. Their Finest is a comedy drama about a young woman who lands a position with Britain's Ministry of Information during the darkest days of World War II. She's given the task of writing a film that will actually inspire people to keep enduring the unendurable. Loaded with British talent, their finest has stunned critics worldwide as the little film that could, scoring a 91 approval, 91% sorry, approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And Mark says it's not just an endearing story, but their finest displays the value of truth to jaded cinema goers. 30 million attend the cinema every week. Your film must show your American sisters that this is a war their husband should be fighting. What do you think? No screen credit. And obviously we can't pay you as much as the chaps. We must give them the character with whom they can identify. Uncle Frank. 60s. Looks older. We all have a part to play in defeating him. Not this part. It's a corpse role. He's dead before the end of Act 3. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about Catherine Cole, who's the young British woman who thinks she's getting a secretarial position at the Ministry of Information, suddenly finds out she's part of a scriptwriting team for a film that's supposed to inspire the nation. Now, this is actually the dark time of World War II for the British. Uh, they're suffering under the Blitzkrieg, which, if you don't know, is when the Germans were just bombing the living daylights out of cities mm. uh, in London. Uh, and yet, at the same time, this film, Their Finest, takes a very deep, dark and serious time, finds a lighter side with comedy, and also finds some pretty... Uh, exceptional moments of, of pathos and, and, and meaning. Uh, it's incredibly well written. It's incredibly well cast. Bill Nye's in there, aging actor, but a grasp of the dramatic. It's got laughs. It's got a love story. It's got insights into the degrading role of women at that time and some stunning observations about the value of truth in stories. Mark, we've been doing this show for 104 episodes, so I think <laughs> I've got a fairly good read on you by this stage, and I'm starting to pick up a certain vibe here that you're a fan of Their Finest. I am somewhat a fan. Are actually, you? How big a fan are you? One of my favourite films of the year. No kidding, actually. Mm. Particularly if, you, if you're ever in a situation like I am, and you've got um, older people in your family who are saying, what should I go and see? Don't go see Going In Style. <laughs> <laughs> go and see Their Finest, okay? It's definitely one you can send your parents to. You'll have a great time with this one. Go with them. You'll love it. Um, I really enjoyed it. And it's not your average World War II movie from, from this, the plot description alone. No, it's true. No, there's no sort of big battle pieces or anything like that. In fact, it's one of those films where you see a side of the, of the war that people might not understand. More what was happening at home and what was going on and how people were surviving. But also, um, it's set around an incredible event, um, Dunkirk, uh, so the evacuation of the British troops from Northern Africa. Christopher Nolan's doing a film on it later in yeah, the year, yeah, July. The, yeah, the Dark Knight, Batman director guy Christopher Nolan doing Dunkirk so I feel like Dunkirk will actually be a whole new topic on people's lips but there's the shocking nature of war there's bombs falling in the sky sure but there's also the importance of the small stories you've got Catherine struggling with her marriage you've got um, the the distinction between women in the workplace and men in the workplace and you've got the importance of stories we tell ourselves not just to deaden the time but the, they need to be worth it one of the key characters a fellow called Tom Buckley says why do you think people go to films 
Stories have structure, they provide meaning. You have to make one that's worth the hour and a half of someone's life if you want to watch it. Or did you find something worth the hour and a half in their finest, Mark? Yeah, I actually did. I found that one of the things in there that I've been thinking about for a long time is right up there on the big screen is the idea that we have to pick our truths carefully. Because people will say, this is true for me, right? You know, I'll build my life Mm, around this. mm. Uh, But in this film, we have to understand that the films have to, the truth has to have validity. It actually has to mean something. It's actually got to be able to survive through life. Well, it's got to have resilience. Mm. Lots of people go, oh, yeah, this is my truth. Football's my truth, or, you know, basketball's my guiding truth, big cars or whatever. But in this case, it's got to have something that can spread out. There's this great moment where in which they actually say um, that, you know, you've been given an opportunity to actually tell the truth and it would be wrong. So Bill Nye says, you know, to Katrin, uh, you and me are only given such opportunities because younger men and women are away dying. But to turn our backs on such opportunities, wouldn't that be giving death dominion over life? And I thought it was a powerful moment that if you've got a story to tell that is actually life-changing and true, wouldn't it be giving dominion to death over life to ignore that and not tell people? As a Christian, I was powerfully moved. It's not a particularly Christian film. Uh, It's not preaching anything. But I've got to say, it is an encouragement. If you've got a truth to tell, you should be telling it. Their finest stars a bevy of top British lads and lasses, including Gemma Arterton, Sam Claflin, Bill Nye, Jack Houston, Richard E. Grant, and Helen McCrory. It's rated M for mature themes, a sex scene, and some coarse language. And it opened last Thursday, so it's ready and waiting at a cinema near you just for you. <laughs> Coming up on The Big Picture, stay tuned for Mark's on-air confession. Bill Nye, move over. Mark's got his own top five senior moments at the cinema. Have you had one? Welcome back. Now, before we get into the finale of the big picture, the top five, the top five choices, uh, we pick new lists every week. Mark's going to do one for us very, very soon. Before we get there, uh, another quick plug for a big supporter of the big picture program, Eternity News. Are you a person who's concerned about who makes your clothes and how they are made, Mark, Sam? I am indeed, actually. Every time I buy something stylish, which is not often <laughs> every couple of years I think at best. myself gee you know I wonder how this actually got to these shores well you should head to eternitynews.com.au to discover who are the most ethical fashion labels in Australia thanks to a new report released by Baptist World Aid and also over at eternitynews.com.au you can find out how a former drug addict and career criminal has become a life coach and a Sydney to Hobart yachtsman wow. and what caused all that transformation in his life go over to eternitynews.com.au massive supporters of the big picture. It is time for our top five. We do this every week in case you've never heard it before and it is my favourite part of the show. The first... What about the first three segments wow. of the show? Can skip over that. The top five. Is this... I love <laughs> Why learning... are you talking those down for new listeners at 965 who well, probably love the first three well, segments of the show? Listen, okay. If, listeners of 965, if you haven't actually got familiar with the big picture yet, you should check out the podcast just yep. while we're here because there's the 103 picture... other episodes. That's right. Go to the bigpicturewebsite.com thebigpicturewebsite.com But you were saying, Sam, it's yes, your favourite? it is my favourite, the top five. And today, well, earlier in the show, we were talking about Going In Style, a film that makes much of senior moments. And we thought this would be a great time for a top five based around that this week. It's true. I am going to share my top five senior moments. Now, as you know, I'm a young spring chicken of a man. Okay, so <laughs> You are. You know, you don't look a day over like 75. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the voice that keeps me young. It is. But the, uh, I, just, I was looking at it and I was realising that there are moments in cinema, we, you know, we all have, or maybe I tell myself we all have them, um, that are just Describe ways in which things can go horribly wrong just because you're not quite as sharp as you used to be. Five. 
So Alien 4 brought about a certain sort of problem in my life. <laughs> you had a senior moment I in had a Alien senior 4? Moment in Alien 4. Because I was taking my... It was my first date with my wife. So obviously... To Alien 4? To Alien 4. Let's, not, let's skip over that and get to the senior moment. I didn't even know there were that many. <laughs> oh, okay. That's your senior moment. Mark, your senior moment. So, um, you know, it's one of those times where you plan everything really, really perfectly and you pick someone up and you're, you're going to meet at a certain time. You take them to Alien 4. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I took it to the wrong cinema. Okay, okay, people do that though. Yeah, There's a lot of yeah, different cinemas yeah. in complexes. Yeah, three times. <laughs> I, and, and we're not talking. We're not talking. We're not talking the wrong cinema in the complex. I took her to the wrong street. <laughs> Three times. We went to one street and, and I walked in and I showed the guy the tickets and he went, uh, um, no, no, that's the cinema two streets over. Sorry, I was old like, timer. Oh, okay. Not around here. Okay, so I rushed over. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. This is just how foolish of me. I've been so excited talking to you. So I took my wife, wife-to-be, you know, by the hand. And we she still off. married you. That's, yeah. a, that's a good punchline we of the story. We went to the next cinema and the fellow just looked at me and I went... <laughs> This is not the right cinema, is it? He said, no, that's actually the one just across. I was like, sure, sure. Off we went. And I'm running her across town. When we finally got to the fourth cinema, okay, it was a moment where she was looking. I don't know if I'd built much confidence at that point. So here's my thought. If you're going to take people out to the cinema as a date, maybe at least begin by knowing where the cinema is. Four. Now... IMAX is an experience, okay? You know, mm. if you've been to those huge screens, IMAX is amazing. I thought, you know, when I came to Sydney, um, I, I'd never been to an IMAX cinema before, and I, and I was so amazed by this preview that was showing Everest, okay? This idea of... Not the movie that was out a couple of years ago. No, no, no. You're you talking like a documentary or yeah, something? Yeah, it was a documentary of Everest, and you got to see Everest on a screen that's right. huge, okay? So mm. just the idea. And I went and saw it, and I thought, this is so good. I've got my mother, my elderly mother is... Coming to Sydney, I've got to show her IMAX. What's the okay. one thing my mum would love to do Jesus. when she's visiting me in Sydney? I know. I'll take it to Everest the Everest IMAX. Yes. So anyway, I was so excited. Now, the, the tickets were somewhat expensive. I won't say how much, just not to embarrass IMAX. But I took mum and dad, you know, and then my own ticket. And I and I, I said, so there, was, there was not much change for 100 bucks once you were done. And I sat down and I'm sitting there and mum was this is going to be amazing. It's like being at Everest. This screen is so large. Which your mum had always wanted to climb. She'd always wanted. And it, like the screen, you know, pushes outside of your peripheral vision. It was, I was just jittering in my seat that she'd had this new experience. Uh, anyway, so Everest comes on. And actually, no, Everest doesn't even come on. This preview for another African film comes on uh, with um, uh, an elephant. So there's just this elephant head on the screen. That's all. And mum takes one look at it and goes, oh, that's far too large. And, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm like, what? No, no, this is the whole point. She said that. And I look over, she's closed her eyes. And I said... <laughs> And now Everest is beginning, and there's the mountain in all its majesty. I'm going, Mum, you can open it. This is the whole way. She says, it's all right, darling. I'll just listen. <laughs> <laughs> so Mum listened to Everest for two hours. And I, I think, like that, it's not my personal senior moment, but I'm sharing it with Mum. Three. 
So one of the wonderful things we get to do, you know, when we're movie reviewers is we don't just go to the main screen cinemas, but often the distributors have their own little private cinemas. Okay, It is a great perk of the job, it's a little the tiny bit, cinema. There's tiny cinema. <laughs> but, you know, you share it with maybe 20 or 30 other sort of reviewers and sometimes they can be quite luxurious. There's one particular one I won't, I won't say whose it was, but I went there and they used to have a, uh, a like a little rate cinema and the toilets... Uh, if you had to get up, we're behind this big curtain. I know exactly you the know little the cinema, cinema of which you're talking about. about. Yeah. So yeah. I was watching Wuthering Heights as this sort of like deep and emotional Bronte story being played out on screen, 2012. And I was thinking to myself, oh, gee, this is actually not good. I really need to go to the toilet. But uh, the door to the toilets is behind a curtain right next to the screen. <laughs> so while everybody's watching this film, I sort of wander down. But I can't find the door. <laughs> <laughs> That was you. That was that, I've, so I've, I've seen people I'm doing that in that cinema. While people are watching, you know, um, Heathcliff and, and Kathy declare their love for each other, I'm standing to the side of the screen, banging on a curtain, <laughs> trying to find my way through. Now, I found my way through, okay, um, and I went to the bathroom, and then I came back in, and then I realised as I opened the door to come back in, there's the curtain again. It's over the door, and it's dark. And I can't find my way out of the curtain. So while Heathcliff is trying to get I'm just this ghost in a curtain. This is your George Costanza moment. I know. Wow. Way to ruin that movie for everybody else in that little cinema. Not being able to find your way around was my particular elderly moment there. Two. But I think the one that really tells me that I'm just getting on was when I took my wife to see the finale of the Twilight Saga. Now, do you remember the Twilight films? I'm just thinking about the common theme here on, the, on this list of your, your wife, soon-to-be wife, wife. There's, your wife's in a lot she's, of these moments. She's experienced a lot of them. She's a very patient woman. Sorry, you were talking about the Twilight Saga and, so, the, and the sequ- one of the sequels. You know what my opinion of this film is going to be just by the title, The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 2. Listeners at 965 may not be as aware of your opinion on this, Mark, but I think just by your comment, yeah. they're probably gauging Look, start- your, t- your thoughts on the Twilight Saga, which aren't too much. It was... I was the... I was in a screening of the very first Twilight film uh, with a bunch of other reviewers and we all laughed out loud when mm. the vampires walked on screen. They Wearing looked... your Team Jacob and Team Edward t-shirts. No, no, it was just funny. Like, it was just so ridiculous, the perm tear and that sort of stuff. And, and we all wandered out after that first film going, this will never make any money at the cinemas. And then it went on <laughs> to become this incredible thing. I don't know what was happening. Anyway, by the time we had suffered through the three films that came before the Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Park, Two, um, you know, we just thought to ourselves, okay, uh, my wife and I, we're going to watch this with a certain degree of patience. Uh, now, you might remember this was a very long, drawn-out cinematic um, love story. It was saga is probably the best way to describe it. Kirsten Stewart, Rob Patterson, and we had to sit through the final one. But sometimes preview, uh, preview distributors they throw you into a screening with a lot of other people, not just. Previews. Oh, no, Mark. You're not in one of your little cinemas no, anymore? I'm not, I'm You're now cinemas. with everybody else? I, I was actually oh, sitting dear. at a pre-screening. Oh, Mark. <laughs> I was sitting at a pre-screening surrounded by 500 fans <laughs> of the Twilight <laughs> franchise. And my wife and I were laughing all the way through this film. And it's slowly generating a degree of angst in the people around us. <laughs> you it mean was, anger? Oh, like, it was so yeah. intense that at some point... Three women behind us started chanting, True fans, true fans. <laughs> <laughs> 
just, we didn't know what to do. We thought, so we left before the end, not because we didn't want to see the end of the film, but because we were afraid of the lights coming up and people finding us. People attacking the old really folks in front who were laughing all the way through the flaming torches. <laughs> yeah, so and it, no one wanted and, to be treated as a vampire at that particular and point. And that's not number one? <laughs> that's not number one. One. Number one is the 1994 screening of Little Women. Okay. Uh, now, when I'm I was, laughing already. I wasn't a reviewer at this stage. I was but a humble cinema goer like many others in this nation trying to enjoy a good film. I mean, who doesn't love this story? Little Women, it's a classic. It's adored. Oh, yeah, heaps of blokes love it. It's adored by grandmas, aunties, sisters, and mums the world over. And me. <laughs> we had this moment where we organised this great big church event. Okay, we're all going to... Well, all of the women of the church were going to go see Little Women. And I asked if I could and come along you. too. And you. And me. Okay, it was great. Now, I come from a small town where all the women of the church basically mean all of my aunties and, and nieces and, and all those sort of people, you know. I'm related to half the church, okay. And so we're all going to go along to see Susan Sarandon and Winona Ryder and Claire Danes and Kirsten Dunst. Oh, I'm just clapping my hands with anticipation. Um, but... We go in there and I'm just so excited, but I have certain rituals that I must do. You know, like sometimes when you get older, you get set in certain ways. You've right. got rituals. Well, I have certain rituals I had to follow through when I'm watching a film. First thing is that, you know, um, I like to be seated right in the centre row. Okay. So I did have to rearrange a few aunties so I could get that position. Uh, and then, I, you know, I like to have a, a large drink in one hand and a bag of chips in the other. That's my standard. Well, I realised... Um, the film was just about to sort of move into that preview territory, the lights had gone down, that I hadn't got my drink. Okay? Nah! And then, yeah, I know. So I, I went out into and I got everything um, and I, I came in, but now it's completely dark in the cinema. I know my seat's somewhere over there in the middle and I know because Auntie Nola's just in front of me, you know, and I can see her hair. So anyway, I'm just going, okay, I'll get over there. And I'm, excuse me, excuse me, as I'm sort of pushing my way through. The film is starting. Um, you know, there's lots of lovely music and I'm getting towards the centre I turn around and go, ah, oh, now I'm going to finally enjoy Little Women. And I'm carrying basically two litres of Coke <laughs> in one hand and I kind of like fumbled it. And I managed <laughs> to pour all the two litres <laughs> down the back of Auntie Nola's dress. <laughs> and, it was, and it was just like, I didn't know what to do. So, you know, in, 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 when, you, when you're in doubt, do nothing. So I sat down, opened my chips and just tried to enjoy the film while Auntie Nola swam. Four sisters followed their dreams. Joe, you have so many extraordinary gifts. How can you expect to lead an ordinary life? You should be writing from, from the depths of your soul. Found their love. Why must we marry at all? Why can't things just stay as they are? I have loved you since the moment I clapped eyes on you. Daddy, please don't ask me. I've got to say, I'm looking forward to the sitcom about your life, Mark Adler. <laughs> Coming soon to a cinema with curtains, <laughs> with toilets behind the curtains. And two liters of Coke. And two liters of Coke. Well, that's all the time we have for the big picture this week. But coming up next week, White Lanta is a challenging TV show that you might want to visit. Plus, my top five films I've never seen and I'm embarrassed to admit out loud, but I'm going to admit it out loud on air for everybody to hear. And The Case for Christ. What is the movie really like? See you next week. And when I will still be Ben McKechn. And I'll still be Mark Hadley. See you then. 
The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 